Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the July 2020 podcast. So here we are then, many weeks into the COVID-19 pandemic crisis. And the good news is, I suppose, um, looking ahead and over the evidence of the last two or three weeks, we can see that gradually restrictions are being lifted. But looking at it from a totally sort of selfish perspective as magicians, of course, it still seems perhaps quite a way off before people start booking us as entertainers again. Many of us performers who rely on shows or do a lot of shows uh, have been badly hit, of course, because a lot of the bookings have been either cancelled altogether or possibly be moved to a later date that date in some cases still being pending and may of course lead to the event never happening so for us as entertainers i suspect it's going to be one of the last things because collections of large numbers of people all together for any type of event is the worst combination for spreading a virus like this and so social distancing, which is necessary for people still to, when they go into shops and, and places like that, is impossible pretty much to do in an entertainment setting. Even a party in somebody's garden, I mean, you could perhaps get away with about how, you know, two metres. Can we do tricks two metres away? Um, yes, we can, I suppose, if we make the magic visual and not too interactive. But um, one of the interesting things, and, and when all this does eventually hopefully blow over and we do go back to being the entertainers that we were before and doing the sort of events, perhaps, hopefully, that we were doing before, is whether this will leave any sort of scar, if you like, on the general public in terms of wanting to get close to people like magicians. I mean, think of what it's like at the moment when you go for a walk. If you go for a walk and you come along a path and you meet some people coming the other way, people's concept of two metres is a bit vague. Some people don't seem to pay any attention to it at all and brush past you. Others virtually leap over a hedge and into a field in order to get a long enough sort of distance between you and them so you can walk past. So it's obviously something that people aren't quite clear about, just how much this distance needs to be. And it was interesting because um, one of my customers in in, um, in Ireland, he, he, he called me because he said, well, he could see a situation where perhaps some people were reticent to handle, for instance, our props. If you say to somebody, you spread a pack of cards, they take a card, there might be some people who go, oh, sorry, I don't really want to touch your cards. Or if we were to say, can I borrow your ring to show you something? Well, I don't really want to lend you my ring. You know, you can see that there there could be a certain paranoia, perhaps, left amongst some members of the public, which will directly affect the type of magic that we can do. So even if we are allowed to get close to them or closer to them than we can currently, will it be that certainly initially will there be this reticence on behalf of some of the members of the public to actually get actively involved? You know, when I think about my sponge ball routine where you, you put a ball into a spectator's hand and one vanishes and they open their hand and there's two. Well, you at the moment, apart from the fact you couldn't get close enough, but would people want to take a ball that has been held clearly in other people's hands as you've been going around a busy dinner function? Are they going to want to take that ball in their hand? I think probably in the long term, the answer is that yes, they will. But there could be, and I think there are some people who won't be bothered at all at any stage. But I suspect that there may be others who have taken this particularly seriously. Maybe people who are a bit older and therefore 
especially wary of picking up any traces of this virus because this virus probably is not going to go away entirely until there's a vaccine. And so in those circumstances, you can imagine some people saying, I'm sorry, I don't want to see any magic. Please go away. Maybe if they're at an event, then they've already accepted that they're going to be sitting at a table next to somebody else who they don't know. Maybe they will have to get over that. But there may be certain elements of the public who are particularly mindful of holding something of yours or lending an object of, of yours, uh, sorry, of theirs to you so that you can do a trick with it. And we may have to think about ways around this. Obviously, you know, selecting a card, they don't actually have to physically necessarily with a lot of tricks take the card out of the pack. You can just riffle down your thumb, say stop, hold up the pack so they can see the bottom card at the place they stop, look at that card, remember it and carry on. But there are other tricks where they do need to actually handle the props for the whole thing to work, things held in their hand and so on. So maybe we're going to have to look at our repertoire um, initially when we first get back into performing and see whether there are tricks that will no longer um, be possible for us to do. I recently had the pleasure of reading Morgan and West's new book, Parlour Tricks, in order to review it for Magic Scene. And it's an excellent book. Morgan and West have a very intelligent approach to the way that they perform. And Parlour Tricks is um, a complete expose, behind-the-scenes view of the show that they did of the same name, with all the routines fully explained. Um, but the real meat of the book, certainly from my point of view, was all the advice that they give and the various opinions that they express about magic generally. Very interesting from two people who are clearly very experienced and, and have done so much. And one of the things that they mentioned was they were, they were talking about the difference between strolling magicians and the way that they work and the way that Morgan West themselves perform, usually on stages or platforms. And one of the things they mentioned was that the strolling magician has to always, or nearly always, fight for the attention of the audience whereas the stage magician because of the, the setting the people have paid to come they sit down they're expecting a show the stage magician doesn't actually have to usually fight for their attention yes you have to get their attention you have to be good at what you do and you have to keep their attention but it's it's not a sort of battle necessarily usually right from the word go and it's very true this isn't it people like me who spend a lot of time doing strolling or table hopping gigs and therefore having to be almost like a sideshow to other things that are going on whether it's a meal or a disco in the background or whatever it might be there are lots and lots of distractions and we do as strolling magicians have to find ways when we approach a group or approach a table to get the attention at the start and we really have to concentrate on keeping that attention even though we are probably only with the group for a relatively short period of time five six seven minutes something like that and yet in that time so many things can happen a meal arrive at the table somebody come to take a drinks order new people joining a group you know there are lots of things that can happen and we are having to combat that and keep people's attention so that they can appreciate the magic and it's interesting because I, I know from experience that doing the actual tricks, in many ways, when you're a, a commercial close-up magician, it, doing the actual tricks is the easy part. And it's all these other things, like getting the attention and keeping it, 
that are the difficult parts. When I think of the advice, for instance, that I give in my advice ebooks, The Table Magician, for instance, or Going Walkabout, a lot of that detail is absolutely nothing to do with the actual magic. A lot of it is to do with a whole host of other things that we need to be able to cope with around the actual performance rather than the performance itself. So when they say that we have to fight for attention and the stage magician doesn't have to do that, it's actually very true. And I think the better you get at managing groups and at uh, once you've got their attention, maintaining it and being funny or entertaining or baffling or intrinsically interesting enough in, for people to con want to continue watching you, the better you get at all those elements, the better your actual magic will be when you perform it. If you don't get control of all those other elements, then you, you, you really are in for a hard time because the magic itself may not be enough. And if you don't get that attention initially, that fight has to be won before you can then go on and do a good show. So I thought it was interesting that they'd noted that um, and that they'd seen the fact that, because I personally think that doing a stage show is way more difficult than doing close-up. But clearly they were intimating that it's actually ran the other way. One of the most popular sections of the eClub Pro website is one called It Could Only Happen Live. And these are videos in which I just sit over a cup of coffee and I chat to you about various things that have happened to me as a performer in my professional magic career. And some of the stories are funny, some are horrific, things that you can't believe could possibly, combination of events that you can't believe could possibly have happened, but they're all true. And in total, there are 93 different stories. And uh, so I thought it might be fun uh, to pick out one of those for you and to give you the, uh, the audio track of that so that you can listen to it too. And this one is all about a policeman. For as long as I can remember, I've been doing lectures to magicians. And I suppose over the years, I've travelled thousands and thousands of miles all over the UK and abroad, actually, but certainly all over the UK in my car, going to clubs and, and doing club lectures. And I really enjoy doing lectures. It's one of the things I've always uh, sort of found to be fascinating. I like the traveling, meeting people, and I like sort of performing my magic and explaining it. It's, I get a real buzz off that. And before I turned pro even, I was, um, when I was still a teacher, I was off doing lectures on a fairly regular basis. So um, I, I got very used to driving quite long distances. And, and often, unless it was a very long way, I would drive back again uh, and get back home again. And I remember there was one lecture that I did um, in Coventry. And uh, this was when I was still living in Bath. And um, I, because of the distance, it was just about manageable to come home rather than stay overnight. Uh, and I used to like to come home if I could because obviously it saved the club money. Um, otherwise they'd have to pay to put me up and it all increased the cost. So if I could possibly drive back, I would. And on this particular occasion, although it was quite a long way back to Bath and Coventry, I said, yeah, that's fine, I'll, I'll drive back. Anyway, so I did the lecture and by the time I put everything away and got it all back in the car and set off, it was uh, well gone 11. And, um, and I, so by the time that uh, I'd done about half the journey, it was well gone midnight and I came up to um, a roundabout. Uh, it was on the outskirts of, of, a, of a city and uh, I was going to go around the roundabout and I drove up to the roundabout 
and I glanced to the right, saw there was nothing coming, started to pull out, and the moment I pulled out, suddenly, right in front of me, was a policeman on a bicycle. Now, this is kind of expected, gone midnight at night. Um, he was actually riding across round the roundabout, and I slammed on the brakes, and I didn't hit him or anything like that, but it was obviously a bit of a near thing, and he sort of wobbled and then stopped and got off his bike. Now, bearing in mind that, it, although it's, it's in the, on the edges of a city, so there are streetlights, um, but that's that sort of yellowy streetlight, and he was wearing his dark uniform and his dark hat, and he was riding a black bike. Um, he had no reflective gear on at all. Um, however, he was a policeman and he was on a bicycle. And uh, so he gets off the bicycle and very carefully puts the bicycle to one side, and obviously I've stopped and I've wound down the window. And I'm thinking, oh, good grief, what's he going to say? And he very slowly walked over to me in the way that policemen seem to do. And he leant down and he said, uh, that was a bit of a near thing, so wasn't it? And I said, yeah, I'm really sorry about that. I, I don't know where you came from. He said, well, I was just riding around the roundabout, wasn't I? I said, uh, yes, yes, you were. And he said, uh, and then he said to me, um, how long have you been driving, sir? So I said, well, since I was about 17 years of age. He said, no, sir, I meant tonight. <laughs> so I really did think he meant how experienced a driver was, I was, and um, not, I wasn't actually taking the mick and just saying, well, how long have you been driving? He actually meant, had I been on the road a long time that evening? So, of course, when I said since I was 17, you can imagine the expression on his face when he thought I was uh, making fun of him, shall we say. I said, oh, no, 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 sorry, <laughs> so he said tonight. I said, oh, really sorry, no, I didn't. I thought you meant how experienced was I. I said about an hour and a half. Anyway, he didn't book me, as it turned out, and just told me to be more careful in future, and I drove on. But uh, I've always remembered that, that line, how long have you been driving? Well, since I was 17? Honestly, it could only happen live. It's generally recognised that there are far fewer female magicians than there are male magicians. For every one standalone female performer, and we're talking about magicians in their own rights here, as opposed to women who are assistants for a male magician. So individual female performers, for every one of those, there's probably 100 or 200 male performers. And it's a strange imbalance. Now, in Magic Scene magazine, we try to redress that balance a little bit. Uh, when we hear about a female magician who has a story to tell, we are only too pleased to, to feature them in the magazine and indeed to have them on the cover. The latest ed edition, the July one, features uh, Nicola Arcane, who recently won the British Ring uh, IBM close-up competition. And the article that uh, that we did on her, in that she reveals some of the struggles that she has had to be accepted when doing close-up particularly by male spectators. She talks about the sexist remarks that were made to her when she was a young female magician trying to entertain groups or at tables, um, and that she had to try so much harder to overcome 
this horrible feeling of being picked on when all she wanted to do was to share her magic with people. She is over it now and she's gone on to be very successful. But in the early days when she was very young and inexperienced, she found the the banter in inverted commas that she was subjected to about what she looked like and what she was doing and so on, um, just totally unfair and upsetting. It's interesting, isn't it? Because if we were talking about uh, someone from an ethnic minority who was being treated in this way, there would be outrage. How dare they do people discriminate against that sort of a, of a magician? And of course, here we are, yet here we are in a society that apparently says it's okay for female magicians to be subjected to unfair criticism and banter. I don't quite know what you do about it, really. And But one thing that I am sure about is that the women who, who do succeed and who get past it often do very well for themselves in magic. I mean, the, the vice president of the Magic Circle is currently Megan Knowles-Bacon. So she's done she's been through this pain barrier as well and and in the article that we did recently in magic scene on her she also expressed the the difficulty that she had to be taken seriously by some members of the magic circle some of the men there saw her uh, not as a magician in her own right at all they would they would say to oh and who's who's assistant to you never occurring to them apparently that she might be a performer in her own right so, so people like her have to get through that pain barrier in order and almost they they need to justify it seems their acceptance by being really good at what they do or being really proactive in her case moving up through the ranks of the magic circle was one way to do that but i i think it's a great shame that this attitude does prevail and uh and even though the female magicians themselves, the ones that we hear about anyway, ha get over it and have been successful, you think of people like Caroline Raven or Mandy Mudin, Faye Presto, you know, nevertheless, there must be so many female magicians who, especially when they're perhaps teenagers and are very sensitive to the way they look, uh, if people start making jokes about them and this sort of thing are unkind in their comments, then it could well be putting them off. And so it's no wonder that by the time that we get, uh, they get into adulthood, they've decided to, to give magic a miss and go on to something where they're accepted more readily. I think women bring a, bring a completely different dimension to magic and can use their personalities in a way that makes for very entertaining performances. And it's a shame that we can't get, can't take out the sort of sexist element of this and make it more acceptable for women to be performers in their own right. Um, th there are successful ones out there, and let's hope that as we see more of them, in as in other areas of society, you think of female footballers, for instance, that gradually the professional game for women is, is starting to become um, higher profile. Television's getting interested, which brings more money in, which gives higher profile, which means in turn more young women want to get involved in football. And the same with cricket and rugby as well for women. Well, the same hopefully will be true for magic. And that in the future, we won't be having to have this discussion. There will probably always be a certain imbalance, but perhaps not such a big one as there currently is. Now, the fact that you've bothered to join me for this podcast would indicate to me that you're the sort of person who is happy to get information by listening to it. 
So much of the information we get these days is done in a visual format, of course. But I think listening to information is still something that people enjoy. In fact, if you look at the increasing number of podcasts on all different topics that are now available, and there are, and there are lots of magic ones as well as this one, of course, then it would indicate that there is a desire and an interest amongst people generally to listen to information. I think there's a good reason for this too is because we're all pretty busy under normal circumstances anyway. We're flying around all over the place and we've got a lot of things to cram in. And if we want to get some information, you can do something else while listening through earbuds or whatever to listening to information much more easily than you can by watching it. If you, want, if you need to watch something... You, you kind of need to sit down and watch it. Yeah, you can watch it on a train or something like that on your phone. But you nevertheless have to fairly much concentrate on it because visual tends to do away with a lot of the audio side of it and, and it shows you what you need to know. Whereas the audio, you can carry it around with you and you can listen to it any time. You can be doing something else, whether it's jogging or going to the gym doing the gardening or washing up you know you it's easy to listen to and it's actually a really good way to absorb information that you might otherwise not get the time to think about and that's why my professional worker series of advice ebooks um, there are five volumes of that currently and four of them have been made also into audio books Audiobooks are great because you can download the MP3 file and play it on any MP3 player or listen to it on your computer if you want. And you can be driving in the car or doing something else, but absorbing the information and the advice that these ebooks contain. In fact, um, volume four of the Professional Worker series, which is called Marketing Yourself, has just been released this month as an audiobook. Marketing Yourself is all about exactly what the title tells you. It's all about lots of different ways to get your information out there in order to get shows. You know, we all used to rely on Yellow Pages for it. That's no longer around. And so the world, the online world and indeed the offline world are both now much more complicated for us to access, especially as we're all pretty much amateur marketers, really, aren't we? And we don't have professional qualifications in any of this. We don't necessarily have a lot of information. And what the, my ebook does, Marketing Yourself, it, it puts forward lots of suggestions of things you might need, places you can go to advertise, uh, what's good, what's not so good, what I found to work, what doesn't I found not to work. Just give you an overview so that you can then sit down and say, well, I'm going to do this, this and this, but I think I might leave these out of it. It may tell you things that you didn't even know existed. So I think the information in the book is really good. And the audio book, which lasts for about an hour and, hour and 50 minutes, something like that, um, is a really good way to get that information without having to sit down necessarily and wade through a lot of video. So price of that is £10. If you go to my website, it's either £10 for the ebook or £10 for the audio book. And uh, I would suggest you can go and see what the title, what the uh, title contains. If you go to the ebook page or the audio book page, it'll give you the list of contents and talk about everything that's included in marketing yourself. 
and it may be that it will give you some ideas so when lockdown finishes you'll hit the ground running when it comes to promoting yourself for getting shows. I was having a conversation, telephone conversation with a magician friend of mine recently and we, we whenever we chat we chat for hours and uh, we cover lots and lots of different topics and so on and one of the things that we ended up talking about in on our, one of our recent chats was fan bases. Now, if you think about a fan base, you, you think of, let's say, rock groups. They have a huge... A lot of those have been around for ages. I'm, I happen to like the music of Queen. So I, I first got into them when I was in my 20s and, and I've sort of kind of stuck with them ever since. And I've in in recent years I've been to see them a couple of times live in concert, and it's kind of funny because the 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 original members of the band who are still playing with the band are all in their sixties as well, and their fan base, if you look around you, is you know very much people who are older because we all started with them when they were young and we were young and we've sort of grown with them. Yes, there are younger people too because a band like Queen, their their music is so universally liked and is so popular, has been popular for decades that they also pick up younger people too. But there's still a lot of older people who are still fans and part of that original fan base. And we were, were sort of talking around this, going back to magicians, that actually, although we, most of us magicians are not famous like like rock bands are, we do nevertheless have a sort of a fan base, a sort of a following. And the fact that as you get older, that following can kind of change. Now, by following, I don't mean that people keep coming to your shows. It's more that when people look at your publicity or see your videos or see your picture, they make a decision about whether you look or seem like the kind of person they want to entertain them. Now, weddings, for instance, a young couple getting married, I'm sure a lot of the time, if they see somebody who looks quite old, they may be a little bit put off because they might think to themselves, oh, no, I don't really want someone of that. I want someone a bit younger. All these young people are coming. It's not necessarily what they always do, but there's, there might be a tendency if they don't like the look of the person because they seem to them from their young age to be old. In fact, they may not be that old, but they may think that they are then they may not book them as a result of it. I mean, I've noticed that as I've got older, my, uh, and my friend had the same ex has had the same experience, as we've got older, the sort of people who book us has changed. Most of my shows these days, um, when I'm working shows, is for private parties, often birthday parties, for older people, 40th, 50th, 60th, 70th, 80th birthday parties. And the reason is because I'm in my 60s. And so for the older age group, I, I they see me and they think, oh, he's kind of one of us. So it, he, he'll be safe to book. He'll understand us. He, his humour, his the way he is, will pro he'll probably be fine for us. But of course, when you're in your 20s, and somebody who's having a 70th birthday party sees a very, very young person, they may think, oh, no, maybe not. It may be too risque. It may be too quick for us. Uh, um, we need somebody who we can uh, sort of empathise with a little bit more. And, and, and I'm sure this, sometimes this thought process must go on in people's heads. Uh, 
And what my friend and I were trying to work out was, can you prevent this happening? How do you maintain, because we would all like to maintain a wide range of shows. We want to appeal to everybody. I mean, obviously older magicians do children's shows, but then children are not making those sort of um, looking at you and making those judgments, whereas adults might. And and so you think, so, well, how do you create an aura or an image that prevents people going, no, don't think you're going to be quite right for me because of the, the age that you are? Maybe you can't. That's certainly the, the, the feeling that I'm getting is that no matter how hard you try, we all sort of move along and we are attractive to different groups of people at different stages in our performing lives. And it's almost out of our control. You can manipulate it up to a point, but the way you look and the age that you are, the way that you dress and so on, is going to have a bearing whether you like it or not. And so the best thing to do is to just accept it, I guess. I've talked about this before, accepting the age that you are and just just being natural about it and not worrying about it. And I think the fan base that we're that we're looking at, they will move and, and they will make those judgments and you will either look right for the part or you won't. And there's not a great deal that you can do about it. Well, thank you so much for listening to the latest podcast. Next one, of course, will be at the beginning of August. And hopefully I will get, have you back then for another half an hour of magical chat, advice and opinion. Have a good month.